Welcome to We've Got Issues. I'm Joshua Holland. This week, we're going to take a hard look at what Ron DeSantis is doing down in Florida. He's trying to make it the least free state in the union. We're going to talk about that with journalist Judd Legum. It's actually pretty horrifying. And we're going to be in for a very unpleasant 2024 campaign, whether the Republicans nominate DeSantis or Trump. Either way. And I, I frankly, I don't see anyone else being a real First, um, just one item you might have missed. This is a story out of Arizona. You all know the story of Frankenstein's monster, right? Dr. Frankenstein, the brilliant scientist, brought a creature to life only to reject it as an abomination and then ultimately die trying to stop its uh, rampage of murder and terror. Anyway, Huffington Post reports that in Arizona, quote, for the past two weeks, Republicans have faced wild accusations of bribery, money laundering, and election fixing from their own supporters. Their conspiracy theories involve a cast of bad guys ranging from a Mexican drug cartel to the, quote, Mormon mafia. These are Republicans dealing with these things from their base of lunatics. Here's the gist. You have this wackadoodle state lawmaker. Her name is Liz Harris. You may have actually seen her pop up occasionally in the national news. She serves in the state House of Representatives. She's a big-time election conspiracy theorist, right? She invited a couple of kind of previously unknown um, experts, and you'll have to picture the air quotes around that word, experts. Uh, she invited a couple of so-called experts to testify at a hearing of the Joint House and Senate Election Committees. And these committees were, the, the hearings were designed to um, figure out how to assure the, the public of uh, elections, that, that Arizona elections were sound and safe in the future. So these witnesses were a guy named John Fowler and his girlfriend and investigative partner, again, in air quotes, Jacqueline Breger. He's a lawyer with a suspended license. She is a farmer's insurance agency owner. Uh, he has since fled Arizona, claiming that his life is in danger. <laughs> and I'll tell you what happened at the hearing, again, quoting the Huffington Post. During her testimony, Breger accused everyone from state office holders to judges, prosecutors, and court-appointed medical health care advisors of accepting bribes, bribes from a criminal enterprise, namely Mexican drug cartels. She said, quote, given that Arizona is a border state and that drug smuggling and human trafficking is a billion dollar business, it would appear that having our elected and appointed officials ensure that the cartel enterprise remains open for business would be paramount, she said, setting off a firestorm that is still burning weeks later. The cartel will invest, she added, the cartel will invest substantially to ensure the right people are in key positions so as to further their objectives. So this couple of freaks became big celebrities uh, uh, in, the, in the MAGA conspiracy right, in the, you know, Alex Jones wing of the Republican Party, the dominant Alex Jones wing. And their conspiracy theory, the specifics of their conspiracy theory is weird even for this set. They allege, and again I will quote, that Fowler's ex-wife and ex-mother-in-law 
have spent decades forging thousands of signatures, all part of a scheme to launder bribes to politicians and others in the form of single-family home sales. Uh, Again, quoting HuffPo, it just so happens that Thaler has been in a bitter custody battle with his ex for years, though Breger didn't mention that during the explosive hearing. Um, Their evidence is their opinion that signatures on scores of housing deeds and other public records resemble Thaler's ex's handwriting. (laughs) So this is all coming together, right? got the real estate agent there she she sees this scheme to bribe for mexican drug cartels to bribe everybody with single family home sales and it just so happens that thaler is in this bitter custody battle with his ex and his ex is you know in that is in the midst of this weird plot during breger's testimony she used examples of arizona governor Katie Hobbs' signature to, quote, baselessly allege that Hobbs had for years taken ownership of property deeds that really were signed by Thaler's ex-wife, Brittany Thaler. Um, it, it is kind of comical, especially since a bunch of Republicans, some of whom have pushed conspiracy theories that are almost as bonkers, not quite as bonkers, I'll say, almost as bonkers, were implicated by these these pair of hucksters. And according to the report, it's like ripping the Arizona GOP apart. There have been a lot of recriminations flying back and forth. The Republican Speaker of the House said that if he'd known that they were going to spew this nonsense, he wouldn't have allowed them to testify, that he wouldn't have allowed this couple to testify. And... uh, I would say just keep in mind that all of this is happening just a few months after Arizona Republicans nominated some of the uh, most extreme uh, candidates in the 2022 midterm cycle. Proud conspiracy theorists just like John Thaler and Jacqueline Breger and got beaten badly. So they are doubling down on the nonsense. Anyway, we've got a lot to cover looking at Florida. So let's take a quick break and then come right back with Judd Leggett. Stay tuned. Desperado, sitting in a old Monte Carlo, a man is hot as hollow, take it easy, I'm not trying to go against it, actually I'm going with you, gotta get up out of here and you and leave me, but I know you won't cause we share common interests, you need me there Welcome back. I wish we did not spend so much time on this show covering the GOP's mainstreaming of extremism. I wish we were dealing with the kind of major conservative party that's typical of other advanced, developed democracies. Bitch about high taxes. Bitch about, you know, regulation. Um, But that's not the case. I've made the point many times, and I think it's important, given the legacy media's 
normalcy bias to point out that there is a consensus among experts in comparative politics that the modern Republican Party is similar to far-right fringe anti-democratic parties in Europe in their disdain for religious, ethnic, and sexual minorities and rejection of democracy, right? This is something that is a lot of Americans don't understand because our press is, it, the conventions don't allow them to say it. Um, and by the way, I am trying to get us a, a break from the, the American fascism beat. Not next week when we're going to take a look at the overwhelming brutality of the law enforcement response to cop city protesters down in Georgia, but soon, right? I want to devote, devote a, an episode to some amazing new discoveries, recent discoveries in Egyptology. It's random. But our show on ancient civilizations of North America proved to be pretty popular. You can check that out in the archives if you want. That was the November 24th show last year. Anyway, we're going to take a look at a, a short fascist, fascist, they are often short it seems, um, who's been getting some pretty good press in the so-called liberal media of late. It's an open secret that Ron DeSantis is going to run for president in 2024, a preliminary slogan of sorts that has been um, circulating among DeSantis's supporters, I guess, is Make America Florida, and our next guest is going to help us understand what that might look like. Judd Legum is a veteran journalist. He founded Think Progress back in the liberal blogosphere era, and he writes the popular information newsletter, which listeners can and definitely should check out at popular.info. Judd Legum, welcome back to We've Got Issues. Thanks for having me. Thanks for taking the time. So I want to take a dive into everything that Ron DeSantis and his very, his very compliant legislature, which is dominated by... Um, Republican allies in many cases have been up to. But first, I want to ask you a little bit about your response to some recent media coverage of DeSantis. Um, the New York Times ran a news analysis. This wasn't in the opinion um, section. It was, it was headlined, DeSantis takes on the education establishment and builds his brand. We talked about that piece a couple weeks ago. In the opinion section, they ran a piece called What Liberals Can Learn from Ron DeSantis by the you know, I, God, I can't stand her. The excruciatingly dull contrarian columnist Pamela Paul. My fellow liberals are exaggerating the dangers of Ron DeSantis, uh, was another piece by Damon Linker, who may be many things but is not, in fact, a fellow liberal. There are a lot of other examples I could cite. I've been picking on the Times of late for obvious reasons. And a number of media crit critics have noted that um, DeSantis is often portrayed as a more electable alternative to Trump despite the fact that he, let's face it, he lacks Trump's kind of dirtbag charisma and his outsider shtick. Judd, having covered this guy quite closely, I want to know what you think about DeSantis's press coverage. Um, it's not all good, obviously. Do you think I'm exaggerating the degree to which they seem to be eager to um, whitewash his authoritarianism? I think there's definitely this, this element to it, uh, you know, and I'm not sure if it's they want to excuse the behavior or not. Because certainly there's some good coverage. You know, there's when I say good, I mean critical coverage as well. Yes. That really gets into the issues. Yes, but I think it's endemic to this kind of default posture where you're always looking at something like a sporting contest, and they view 
DeSantis is kind of a savvy competitor. And then all of the coverage is framed in that way. So when you're looking at his education policy, when you're talking about him taking on the education establishment, that kind of fits this rubric of him in some sort of contest, some sort of sporting contest. But it obscures the reality, which is he is attacking teachers. And it also he is doing that in the context of a severe teaching shortage, teacher shortage in Florida. And there are real consequences to that for Florida students. And that is not front and center to this coverage. And I think it really should be. You know, yeah. the, the, the basis, the foundation of much of his education policy is the assumption that a significant number of teachers in Florida are grooming students because they are pedophiles. I mean, this is the grossest kind of attack on teachers, people who, now obviously there are some teachers who are, who are bad people. I'm not saying everyone who's ever been a teacher is, is a good person no, or, of course. You know, or, or hasn't, hasn't done things that are horrible. There, there's, there's a few of those out there. But for the most part, these are people who have dedicated their entire lives, their careers to helping children, are deeply committed to children, know that they are never going to become wealthy or famous or powerful because of this, but have devoted their lives to this anyway, because they really care about, you know, helping the kids in their community um, learn and, and, and prepare them for life. So to take them and on the basis of nothing on air, really demonize them, you know, whether it's this stuff with, you know, pornography, or whether they're saying that, oh, they're trying to, you know, indoctrinate them with this sort of leftist ideology or, or whatever it is. Um, that to me should be the, the top story that's covered most. Yes. I but agree with you. But instead you get kind of some of the headlines that you've been talking about, which are looking at DeSantis and, and just looking at him as, as, as this is all just political tactics. And of course it is political tactics, but the, the importance of the story is how those political tactics impact people, impact parents, impact students. Um, and, and those are real things that are happening as opposed to sort of the hypothetical presidential campaign that, that will probably happen, but is not, is not as important as what's happening to kids. Right. Right. Uh, uh, that's very well said. And there's other things that he's doing to, infringe on Floridians' um, civil liberties, which we're going to get into. It kind of drives me batty when conservatives refer to the uh, Sunshine State as the free state of Florida, and DeSantis gets away with, you know, claiming to be a guardian of freedom, even as they pass one law after another, really um, uh, infringing on Floridians' rights in all sorts of creative ways. Uh, you recently clashed with... Um, DeSantis's press spokesperson and others over a report about teachers being forced to remove books from class uh, libraries. Um, before we get into that, can you tell us about what the law about books in classrooms and school libraries, the so-called curriculum transparency law does? 
Yeah, it actually when you when you talk about it sort of in in, in isolation, it doesn't sound too bad. Which is there was a law passed about a year ago now, which says uh, one, you know, there needs to be a list of all the books uh, in the library that uh, parents can you know review, but that also all the books in the library need to be selected by a certified media specialist, which is what they call librarians uh, in Florida. Um, so that all sounds fine, but then what happened was they released a regulation that said, oh, and when we say libraries, we don't just mean like the library that the school, the middle school or the elementary school or the high school shares. We also mean any little collection of books in the classroom. Those are also libraries. And classroom libraries are not selected by media specialists. They're selected by teachers. You know, these teachers, they get donations, they bring books from home, they buy books themselves, and they kind of try to create a little place where they can get kids interested in reading. An important thing in Florida where reading rates have is they have issues with literacy and and um, their and progress in reading. Right. Um, and so once they did that, all of those books were essentially unvetted and in violation of this law. Then they produced a training that said, you know, kind of reiterated that, uh, said that, oh, by the way, if there's anything that we consider pornographic, um, which doesn't just include, you know, what you would think of as pornography, which is like, you know, uh, a penthouse magazine or something like that, um, you know, includes Pulitzer Prize winning books by Tony Morrison and others, um, you could be charged with a third degree felony. And also in that training connects the decision, although they, they don't, they don't come out and say it, but they connect the decision of whether the book is appropriate or not to both, uh, the, what's known as the don't say gay law, uh, parental rights and education act and the stop woke act, which limits, but those laws, you know, kind of both limit, discussions of LGBTQ issues, but also discussions about race. And it's very difficult to know how that would apply to books. Um, this is a really, so, I think that's a really important point because this seems like one of those situations where you have vaguely written statutes and then the promise of a, you know, um, a, of a legal establishment that is going to be pursuing, you know, potential prosecutions based on right-wing moral panics and that kind of pushes people to self-censor. The vagueness is part of the is part of the inherent threat of these bills. That's correct. And I think it's just important to note at this point that when Ron DeSantis and he came out just this week and he said this is all a hoax, we're only getting rid of books that are pornography. As I said that that term is a little is very squishy and there's a bunch of books that are definitely not pornography that are being classified pornography in the state of Florida. Um, but it's absolutely untrue that that's the only thing that's going on. There are many, many counties in Florida that are excluding books just because they have LGBTQ characters, just because they have discussions of race, racial discrimination. That's absolutely going on. The Florida Department of Education is encouraging it. They produced this training where 
they link up those laws to this process of reviewing all of the books. And there's been many people, including myself, but not just me, the Washington Post, many others who have asked the Department of Education to clarify, does the Don't Say Gay law and the Stop Woke law apply to books, library books, which it really shouldn't because it's supposed to apply to classroom instruction. And they will not answer that question yeah. today. So, uh, but, but in, in any event, it's absolutely going on. Um, you wrote about the controversy over AP courses offered in Florida high schools, uh, the college board, um, which produces the advanced placement classes that help a lot of high schoolers get into good colleges, had kind of caved to DeSantis's intimidation. Can, can you talk about that briefly, what happened? Yeah, I mean, that was something that the college board has been working on in earnest for a couple of years um, to create this new AP African-American studies course. They started piloting it in 2022, included a bunch of stuff. They got a lot of experts in including uh, a bunch of stuff that... um, you know, it was, it seemed to be a very thorough curriculum. Um, but in January, DeSantis came out and said, oh, look, there's queer theory, there's intersectionality, there's critical race theory, and this isn't acceptable in the state of Florida, and it needs to go out. Then, a couple weeks later, when the AP released the final version, they had piloted it in 2022, but then in 2023, they're going to release the final version, a lot of the topics that were mandatory topics, a lot of the readings that were mandatory readings that DeSantis had criticized were either taken out or um, moved into an optional section. So the AP then said, oh, well, DeSantis is taking credit for that, but it's not really true because we've actually made all of these changes way before DeSantis, you know, Florida raised any objections. So that's what they said in response to the initial release of this final version. But then we learned that actually that was not true, <laughs> that actually for months and months, uh, the, they were talking with Florida officials. Florida officials were threatening them and saying that unless they removed this stuff, um, it wasn't going to it was in violation of Florida law. And, you know, it's it seems like they caved. So. It's reminiscent of the power that Texas school book producers have to set the agenda for school books across the country. Uh, Texas lawmakers are always fiddling in that. A lot of the rights assault on public education is, of course, justified with this kind of facade of, uh, you know, won't won't somebody think of the children thing. But um, this project isn't targeted at only K through 12 education. I think that's really important for people to understand. There's an even more expansive and you know, unconstitutional on its face bill being considered, HB 999, that Florida state legislature, legislator um, Anna Escabani called, and I quote, a breathtaking control of viewpoint and content throughout all academic activity in the entire state of Florida. Can you talk about DeSantis's new efforts to ban gender studies in Florida colleges and universities? Yeah, I mean, this is part of, uh, you know, it, it definitely doesn't just apply to K through 12. Um, they've got, he's got a new, a whole suite of things, um, that would impact higher education. Uh, and 
one of them is to essentially ban different kind of majors that care that include that include topics that I guess DeSantis doesn't think is important. So there are public colleges in and universities in Florida that have large women's and gender studies departments. Those would be eliminated um, under this law. Um, the other thing uh, that happens um, in in this uh, in this bill is that you know he's really starting to seize control over the faculty as well because they essentially allow uh, the boards of trustees, uh, which is going to which are populated either by people who DeSantis directly appoints or are appointed by a board who in turn was appointed by DeSantis um, to really get rid of any tenured faculty that that he doesn't like as well. So, um, you know, I think there's sort of this, there's, there's a few aspects to it. There's, there's kind of these specific aspects where they're saying, okay, well, anything that mentions these things, that's no longer allowed. Uh, but then also just kind of taking control of the bureaucracy overall. Um, and, and, and I think the point of that too, is not necessarily always that they're going to review and and fire professors but just having that over their hanging over their head to know that that can happen and that they don't really have the protections of tenure I mean that's really the intimidation factor yeah it's um it's a chilling effect and last year or perhaps it was 2021 I don't remember when it was exactly there was a major controversy when the DeSantis administration leaned on colleges and universities, public schools, public colleges and universities to um, to punish professors who were criticizing Florida policies. Uh, so criticizing his policies, basically. Um, DeSantis also recently completed like a hostile takeover of sorts, I guess, of New College, a small liberal arts college with a kind of sterling reputation. He filled the board with right-wing allies, including Christopher Rufo, the fascist propagandist who brags about launching the right's moral panic over critical race theory. Um, he also appointed a crony as president for a, a huge salary. I think he doubled the salary or something like that. Again, New College was a liberal arts school with a, a really sterling reputation. And Rufo bragged on Twitter, because he always brags on Twitter, that they're going to force liberals out of the institution and, quote, recompose its student body. Education is the area where Ron DeSantis has really made a national name for himself. And um, as we discussed a couple of weeks ago, a big part of his culture war is, in fact, cover for an assault on Florida's teachers unions, um, which is one of the few institutions that can push back against him. Democrats are completely uh, out in um, marginalized in Florida. But there's a, a lot of other outrages down there to cover. We're going to take a quick break and then come right back to talk about a few of them. Stay tuned.
And we're back with Judd Legum. Vice reported on a new bill being considered by the Florida legislature that, and here I quote, could let a parent kidnap their children and bring them across state lines if the parent believes that the child is receiving gender-affirming health care or even if the child is simply, quote, at risk of getting that care. That's according to a report in Vice. <sighs> Judd, um, DeSantis is often compared to Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban, which is, yeah. Anyway, um, Orban, of course, brags about turning Hungary into a, quote, illiberal democracy, and Orban has faced sanctions from the European Union for uh, capturing the, 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 the country's judiciary, making it no longer an independent judiciary. I want to ask you about DeSantis' removal of Hillsborough County State Attorney General, Attorney, um, Prosecuting Attorney Andrew Warren, who's a Democrat who was elected in Florida's third most populous county in 2020. What happened there, and what's going on with that legal battle? Well, um, the I think the issue here is there was a elected prosecutor uh, elected by uh, the the people of uh, his county, Hillsborough County. And, you know, the nature of a prosecutor is you have to, there's a million things you could prosecute. You have to make decisions about what you prosecute and what you don't. And you can create, you know, policies that kind of guide those decisions. So my understanding is that Andrew Warren uh, made it clear that he was not going to prioritize uh, the prosecution uh, prosecutions related to abortion restrictions that are being imposed in Florida, and DeSantis didn't like that and uh, and removed him. Um, so this has been, you know, it's now the subject of litigation. He sued Andrew Warren sued and. The the lawsuit, uh, you know, initially was unsuccessful, um, not because uh, the the judge thought that he wasn't improperly removed, but it was more of a technical decision about the remedy he was seeking, uh, which was obviously to get back in his position. Uh, this particular judge didn't think was in the authority of the court. So now they're appealing that. My, my understanding is that appeal has been fast-tracked uh, by, a, by a federal appeals court. Um, and, you know, that's where we, we don't know how this is all going to end up, but that's what, that's what things, that's what things stand. But I, I think it's, you know, I, I'm not a, I'm not an expert in, in Hungarian politics, so, so I won't, I won't comment on that, but I, I do think that it's endemic uh, and and reflective of DeSantis's approach, which is he's completely intolerant of having other elected officials um, exercise their own judgment and exercise their own power, if that's at all different from how he would have done it. Right. Um, so here's the case where this guy won, you know, an election to be a prosecutor. He he went about it in the way that he thought was appropriate, and you know, as a result, um, you know, was was removed. Uh, so we'll see if that stands or not. You know, um, Ron DeSantis appears to be 
preparing the ground to remove yet another elected Democratic prosecutor from office. Um, her name is Monique Worrell. She's a black woman elected in Florida's Ninth Circuit, which covers uh, Orange and Osceola counties. And basically, she cut a plea deal with a young man who recently committed a heinous crime, mass shooting. Uh, and DeSantis, and I guess his allies, are using that plea agreement as a premise to remove her from office, another Democrat. And of course, I will note here that a vast majority of criminal cases in the United States do end in plea bargains, and that's true in conservative jur jurisdictions as well as more liberal ones. Um, Judd, a federal court, the uh, 11th Circuit Court of Appeals, reamed Florida Republicans for passing uh, what the judge really said was a blatantly unconstitutional law prohibiting private media companies from basically moderating the content on their platforms. And this is based on the kind of conservative claim that, uh, that it's censorship and uh, they've assimilated this idea into their kind of ubiquitous persecution complexes. Content moderation is, is a, a, an attempt to silence conservatives. Um, I guess my question here is, you know, are DeSantis and his allies just legislating whatever the outrage du jour is in the conservative media at any given time? Well, I do think that they're definitely, you know, it's it's that case certainly was was way over the line as far as, you know, just bossing around um, private companies. It's not the only time they've done that. Uh, you know, the Stop Woke Act, which I referenced earlier, uh, it, it applies to K through 12. It applies to higher education. But there's also a provision in there that applies to private businesses that says private businesses can't uh, conduct diversity trainings uh, or have to make it optional for their employees. And, you know, this is just not something that uh, the state has the authority to do that that um, portion of the law has been enjoined. Uh, but that's really the process. You know, there's there's really he hasn't really paid too much of a political price for this. And you can kind of continue to push the boundaries. Uh, and, you know, by the time the courts have ruled, they'll either rule for it or against it. But he's on to uh, the next thing. Um, and in that sense, there's a lot of differences from Trump. But in, in that sense, uh, they're they're the same, because I think that's always was Trump's strategy is that you you go through one sort of controversy. And then the way you solve that is that you just hop to the next one. And that's definitely DeSantis's um, MO as well. Right. Um, yeah. And it's, and it, it definitely seems like he is running um, his state in part as a Republican primary campaign. Uh, you know, I want listeners to also keep in mind that DeSantis has wasted a huge amount of Florida taxpayers' dollars flying immigrants from red states other than Florida to blue states, right? Florida isn't a border state. So he's been, he hired a company run by a contributor um, to fly migrants from like Texas to various blue states. It's crazy. And uh, he hasn't paid a political price in Florida. Um, we'll, we'll see how that plays on a national national scene. Judd, can you talk? So you were mentioning this, you know, this, this kind of unusual um, Republican attempt to regulate a big business and uh, businesses in Florida. Can you can you talk a little bit about uh, 
DeSantis's clash with Disney, because this seems like one of those a relatively rare occasion when somebody goes head to head with a huge business in in their state. Yeah, uh, you know this this goes back to the "Don't Say Gay" bill last year, um, and actually Disney did nothing. You know, I mean, they, they, in as this was being considered, um, they did not speak out about it, and in fact, they sent a memo uh, to their staff uh, saying that they would not speak out about it, and that you know they had shows like Modern Family, and that expressed their values. Uh, their staff did not like that. Uh, protested. Uh, and eventually, after it had already passed the House and the Senate, came out against it, said that they would, you know, be opposing not only this effort, but efforts in other states. This made DeSantis very mad that someone would have the gall just to express an opinion different than his. You know, obviously, we didn't have the don't say until last year, the don't say gay law did not exist. So Disney was just saying they don't think we should put in this additional restriction. Um, They weren't advocating for some sort of, you know, uh, you know, liberal, you know, utopia or anything. They're just saying they would like to keep things the way they are um, after it was too late. Uh, But then in response, DeSantis threatened and then eventually followed through with uh, taking away the privileges that Florida had previously gotten to kind of manage the area around Walt Disney World, manage the, you know, they sort of are able to operate kind of as a pseudo government in that uh, that area. It's called the Reedy Creek um, area, and he took that away. Um, and you know, had the, he had the legislator pass a uh, a law, and he's very um, he's very forthright about the idea that the reason why he did that uh, was uh, that he was punishing Disney for expressing a political view that was different than his. Um, and so I think, you know, that's the way uh, he operates and he's very proud of that. I mean, he, he's, he wrote, just wrote an op-ed in the, in the wall street journal, just, you know, saying uh, what a good example he set by punishing this corporation for um, expressing the political view that he disagreed with. So it's quite something, uh, you know, in this case, I guess you have to give him uh, credit uh, for being um, very transparent about what he's doing, but it's also, uh, you know, uh, fairly disturbing that someone would use their government authority, their authority that they've been granted by people, and use it just to pursue a political vendetta. But that's what he's doing. Yeah. DeSantis is also pushing a six-week abortion ban. That is uh, a ban on abortion beginning before many women even know that they're pregnant. That will probably pass in some form. Um, there are a couple of other bills that will not, um, or are exceedingly unlikely. One we talked about a couple of weeks ago, or maybe it was last week, I don't remember, that would ban the Democratic Party, uh, and it would automatically re-register all Democratic voters as unaffiliated. Um, another would require anyone reporting on DeSantis or the Florida legislature to register as a journalist, I guess, to cover them and pay a fee, or they would be breaking the law. Uh, obviously, I, I'm sure the I'm, I'm sure the author of that bill calls himself a constitutional conservative. <laughs> and if you if you talk about this stuff, let's say on social media, someone will inevitably tell you that you should not be alarmed by it 
because it isn't going to pass and become law. Judd, you've been watching a lot of these proposed bills. Not all of them have become law. What are your thoughts about that? I mean, is this a canary in a coal mine, or should we should we actually not worry too much about these performative, outrageous bills? What's your thoughts? Well, I think it's interesting, and I think it's part of a, a political strategy, which is, you know, DeSantis generally doesn't put his name or endorse these specific bills as they're being proposed. Uh, so there's lots of stuff happening. Pretty much anything can get passed because they've got large majorities in both houses. And then, you know, you can sort of see how the reaction is and, and take it from there. You know, in the case of this um, registering, if you're going to be a, a blogger or a journalist who's writing about, uh, you know, the Florida government, um, you know, that was an outrageous bill. It obviously was it was widely condemned uh, when it came out. And then DeSantis was like, oh, you know, I, I'm, I don't support that. I'm not behind that. And, you know, it's, it's all um, this is all just speculation that I was behind it. And then, but then other bills, you know, he'll, he'll come around and, and sign or endorse, you know, like the don't say gay bill and, and others, which, which was the same thing. He wasn't the, um, he wasn't aligned with that initially. He hadn't, he hadn't endorsed it when it was under consideration by the legislator, but he ultimately embraced it and signed it. Now it's a sort of a signature part of his agenda. So, you know, I think that's, it's all part of the game that's being played. Um, and it keeps people off balance because you don't really know exactly what he's doing. Yeah. So I have a, um, a general policy around here of not covering the 2024 election until at least Thanksgiving. I just think we have these like endless campaign season and, you know, it doesn't really start until then, but it's okay to discuss it briefly. Before I let you go, I wonder, do you want to play pundit at all and handicap DeSantis's chance of beating Trump? Sure, I'll I'll, I'll spend the I'll spend the minute on that. No all right, <laughs> um, uh, which is the, I the, think, the conservative media are all in. Seems yeah, like I th- I think it is much more. I think he obviously has a chance. Uh, I don't think that the national polls that still show Trump way ahead are really that relevant because of the way that these campaigns play out. You know, it's a, it's a process of building momentum and, you know, the incumbents are are usually way ahead, you know, this far out because it's, it's a lot of name recognition and familiarity. I will think, I do think it is much more difficult um, for him to be successful than, People are making it out to believe. Uh, I don't think Trump's supporters are really sick of him uh, in any uh, in any meaningful way, and they certainly don't harbor negative feelings about him, even if they might be theoretically willing to move on. Which raises the question: Is how does DeSantis take on Trump? without alienating his supporters. That's a very difficult thing. That was the same dynamic we, we, we saw in the Republican primary in 2016. Uh, people, you know, or 2015 going into 2016, is yeah. that the candidates were fighting with each other and they just figured, oh, by the time it gets whittled down, we'll, we'll then take it to Trump and Trump has no chance. Uh, but by then it was too late. Uh, and so he's going to face the same thing. I mean, I think DeSantis is obviously um, having a soft touch now. 
he doesn't he doesn't seem to want to really harshly go after Trump. Um, and he's likely to continue that posture for some time. Uh, but will he be able to pivot and will be will he be able to do it in a way that's effective? And will he have enough time uh, to make headway when he does it? So uh, and, and what do you say? Because because where are you really disagreeing with him on a substantive level? So yeah. I, I think it's a challenge. You know, I, I don't know what's going to happen, but I, I don't think it'll be easy for DeSantis. I look forward to Trump uh, ridiculing DeSantis about his height and stuff like yeah. that. That's, that's, that will definitely at least, at least we get some entertainment out yeah. of it. Judd Legum, we're about out of time. I really want to thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. Thanks so much. Enjoyed it. Folks, check out Judd's stuff. It's at popular.info. I'd also like to thank David Edwards, our producer and engineer. I'd like to thank the good folks at Alternate and Raw Story for supporting the show. Um, you can you can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast. Of course, I'd like to thank all of you fine people for tuning in. Have a terrific week. Hello, my love. I heard a kiss from you. Red magic, satin play me.